Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Left side, Swanson to first. Champions. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. And hello and welcome to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. From the Kia Studios, as always, here in Midtown, as we go through what should be a spirited couple of hours of Braves and baseball discussion. And, Corey, as we know, we discussed last week, and I guess we'll be discussing for quite some time to come, the hot stove is about to become the topic du jour across baseball and for sports fans as the World Series should end this weekend, regardless of which way it goes. Six, seven games won't matter. By the time we wake up on Monday, it's a whole new season, and it's the off season. I mean, this, I can't wait for it, right? I mean, it's moments after the World Series. All these guys are going to hit free agency. Unfortunately, unlike every other sport, we're not going to see a whirlwind of signings within a few days. It's going to drag on. It's going to, you know, percolate like it tends to do, uh-huh. and it's going to take some time. But I'm excited to get this thing going, get this free agency going, and obviously the Braves, uh, you know, have a very big need and a very big free agent that are going to be a part of these proceedings. They certainly do, and we're going to be talking about that. Then all of the Braves' decisions. And, of course, we know that man's name, the big decision, the big free agent for the Braves, the guy headlining this class, is none other than all-star shortstop Dansby Swanson. Hey, gold glove shortstop Dansby Swanson as well, coming off a career year. And Dansby has been, uh, you know, kind of making the rounds here over the past couple of weeks. Of course, we wish that the Braves were making their rounds in the playoffs. That did not go according to plan this year. But Dansby has been an integral part of everything that has gone right for the Braves over the past five seasons, including, as you heard in the open of the show, the last down of the 2021 World Series. He was right there for it. But could he be joining the man on the other end of that play in playing for another city by the time this winter comes to a close. That was one of the many topics that Dansby discussed with Dukes and Bell right here in the Kia studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game this week. So what I want to do, Corey, is hear some of what I felt like was the most important and most impactful things that we can take away from Dansby's visit with Carl and Mike, and in particular discussing how he is looking at his own free agency because – Yeah, we know it's a business, and he's going to talk about the fact that it is a business, but there's a lot wrapped up into this for both him and for the club, and I think for Braves fans as well as we see how this saga is going to play out. So let's hear from Dansby Swanson here, who, you know, when you sit in and do an hour worth of sports talk radio, you can talk about all kinds of things, but eventually that question is going to come up, and it's Carl Dukes asking Dansby Swanson what I think we're all wondering. we got to ask because... It's my number one concern, and I'll be completely honest with you, D. We've had Alex Anthopoulos on the show. He's amazing. I think he's done incredible things for the Braves and the personnel moves. But we want to know. You're going to be here, right? Come on, man. You're going to be here, right? I wish it was that easy. It's so hard to <laughs> it's so hard to be like completely transparent about this whole situation because I'm sure everyone gets it. You know, like business is business, man. It's not always the most fun part about this game, and you know, I think we all play this game for the joy of the game and to be able to win. Like I said, I wish it was just one plus one, but it never seems to be that way. 
And Corey, I think we all know and have followed this for you know the course of Dansby Swanson's career, and particularly over the last three or four years as all of these different extensions, and we'll talk about this too and get Dansby's thoughts on them, for various teammates. The Braves have been locking up this core for quite some time, but Dansby finds himself on the doorstep of free agency and walking through that door to see what the market holds for him after the World Series. So this is kind of uncharted territory for Dansby, and I think he's right. I mean, there's a lot to to figure out there, and you know, it's going to be an interesting process, and it's kind of, I, I guess, in some ways, the reflecting on how we got here is going to stop pretty soon because you got to figure out where you're going. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting, too, that he has that headier approach to it. You know, obviously, he understands the business. He understands that side of it. Don't forget, I mean, he's just a few months removed because salary arbitration got pushed into the season. He's just a few months removed from an arbitration case that he had to sit in, which he had to hear, I'm sure, some unsavory things about his abilities on the field as opposed to him presenting the case, why he should make what he thinks he should make. So he's already been kind of, you know, front and center in terms of the, the business of baseball. He obviously watched, you know, Freddie Freeman a year ago, so... Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he approaches this, but certainly from his words, I mean, he's going into it with eyes wide open. And let's talk about Freddie Freeman and the impact of that whole saga on Braves fans, on the Braves team, the Braves front office, Freddie Freeman, his family, the L.A. Dodgers, the uh, and the same uh, agency that was uh, was heading this up for Freddie Freeman a year ago is the agency that is representing Dansby Swanson as of right now. Freddie no longer with that industry, and there's been a lot of ink spilled and a lot of words said on Sports Talk Radio and across all of sports. So uh, Mike Bell asking the question we kind of want to know, does that situation with Freddie Freeman have anything to do with what Dansby is expecting as he marches into free agency? Did you learn anything from Freddie's experience and how that played out? Uh, I mean, to some degree. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's always important to know just, like, we have different personalities, you know, and I feel like something that I've made everyone aware of is, like, this is my ship that I'm running. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the one in control here, and, you know, and I've said this before, too. I feel like the whole agency thing got completely blown out of proportion. Um, I feel like at the end of the day, that was just, like, kind of a, an easy way to kind of gloss it over. But, I mean, there's there's obviously so much more that goes into things like that. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, you just have to take ownership over your career. I've learned in life in general, like if you want to be successful at something, you got to take ownership over it, whether that's being a better husband, a father, a brother, a friend, a teammate, like whatever it is, you have to take ownership over it. And, you know, that's kind of how I'm viewing the situation when it comes to free agency. Well, you use the word heady for Dansby Swanson. I think he's been called that and then some throughout his time with the Braves. That's how you are able to become a great teammate, a great leader, and a part of a club that has a winning culture, which the Braves do. But as much as I can look at that and say all of that are, are great things for him and that he does have you know a great head on his shoulders for it, it's hard not to look back at the Freddie Freeman situation and wonder, did it have to play out that way? I mean, it, what's done is done. We're not going to rehash that right now. I don't want to get that all twisted. But, you know, in the midst of all of that, there was that little part of the conversation where Chipper Jones said, look, you tell the agents what to do. They work for you. I think it sounds like Dansby Swanson's pretty well aware of who can call the shots in the negotiations of where he plays his baseball games. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing that you hope that he learned from watching, you know, Freddie and watching obviously when he came back, uh, you know, for the first time at, at Truist Park is knowing that he doesn't want to walk down that same path and he doesn't, you know, certainly want to be in a situation where he's not hearing, you know, whether or not it's true, whether or not he heard of things, you know, I think watching that whole thing play out and if mm-hmm. this is where you want to be, I think you're firm with your agent and you explain, no, let's just get this thing done. Yeah. I think that it could almost be the benefit 
of Dansby Swanson. He watched this whole thing play out a year ago with a guy that, you know, was obviously not far from removed from being an MVP. Yeah, and and you set that expectation. Of course, the money, the negotiations are still going to have to happen. There's still a bridge to, you know, to build between the two sides. We'll yep. see how that all plays out. But a lot of bridges have been built for the Atlanta Braves with some of their young talent. A lot of extensions have been handed out over the past few years, including Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Michael Harris II, I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies way back in, what, 2019. Spencer Strider most recently. I might be forgetting one here or there, but hey, the point is the Braves have given out a lot of extensions. Dansby, though, not one of the guys who got that. So Mike Bell is able to ask Dansby, what does all of that mean? Other guys getting extensions and you're kind of trying to figure out free agency. Are you aware when you see other guys getting paid in the organization, do you, on some sense level, you're a human being, you say, well, where's mine? So, I mean, when it comes to that whole situation, that doesn't really bother me because at the end of the day, all those guys did what was best for themselves and their family. So, like, how could I ever be upset with somebody getting an opportunity like that? Because you would never get mad or, or upset that a teammate has made something of themselves and been able to, you know, give to their family and communities for generations to come. Like, I, I think that would be very, very selfish on my part to be upset about that kind of stuff, you know, and, you know, I'd be the first one to, I feel like, to be in there to congratulate or, you know, I sat in all those press conferences, you know what I mean? Like, mm. you know, I, I, I don't take that stuff personally because at the end of the day, like, those are my teammates, those are my people that I care about and love and it's kind of like my message at the end of the year was just like, if I could say one thing to anybody, just be that I love them just because that's the right way to do things. And, you know, I feel like my parents just raised me to you do what's right no matter the, the situation. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at. Now, Corey, I just feel like, again, you know, Dansby has had a lot of time here to really think about all of these things and in real particular focus on his free agency. And I never thought for a second that really there'd be a lot of time spent by any player on that team looking at, well, I can't believe that guy got paid. That's just not going to be part of the vernacular. Now, can you look at that and think, man, I'd like to go ahead and take care of that deal myself and get my own deal done? Well, absolutely. But I don't think there's ever been, you know, a seed of jealousy or greed that's been planted in between these teammates as the different deals have gone out. No, but I mean, I think you and I have talked about this multiple times. I'm stunned that it's gotten to this point. Sure. I mean, I really thought we were going to, we, we wouldn't be going into the, you know, the final season of his, you know, club control here, wondering whether or not we were going to be walking down the same path. As with a star as they did a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do wonder what we've seen from these deals that have been signed. What does that mean in terms of what they're willing to go to depth-wise to get Dansby Swanson locked up? I think that's at least the way you can look at it. Not that he didn't get paid, but what do those deals mean in terms of what they could end up giving Dansby? Yeah, what kind of signs do these point to? Because obviously these were all deals that were done with players who were much further away from free agency. When I talked to Alex Anthopoulos just before the division series started, after Spencer Strider became the latest man to get one of these, you know, I asked him, hey, you know, you got some other guys you probably want to keep around. He said, we absolutely do, but some guys are close to free agency. That's a different animal altogether. Now, as far as this free agency is concerned, Dansby Swanson is one of four big shortstops expected to be out there. You got a couple of opt-outs in Carlos Correa and Xander Bogart. You've also got Trey Turner walking into free agency in addition to Dansby. So Carl and Mike asked, you know, Dansby, what other things is he thinking about as he goes into free agency and looks around at this market and tries to survey and make the best decision for him? You know, you could even argue at times that just like it sucks that the way the market works, that certain people are worth certain amounts and you have to take a certain amount of money because you're going to hurt the future generation Mm -hmm. of people to come after you. And like there's so much that goes into it. It's not just as, like I said, businesses never is just as plain as, as it can be because the other day you have to, you know, look out for yourself. You have to look out for a team environment. You have to, there's so many just different factors to consider, you know, like Mally and I are getting married next month right. and, you know, what our future holds together and, you know, her soccer career. Like we go through a different, 
you know, relationship and, and circumstances than pretty much anyone else out there just because of the nature of our schedules. Yeah, and I think that's worth thinking about. You know, these are human beings at the end of the day, and I wanted that part of the clip to be in there because, yes, it has to do with your team, with winning, with, you know, the opportunity to be in the same place for a long time. But as we heard from Dale Murphy on the show a week ago, players don't always get to finish where they started. And, you know, Dansby does have a lot of considerations to think about, including what this market's going to look like and how it's set. Yeah, and isn't the father of the bride supposed to be picking up most of the bill he's worried about? You know, I don't think he's worried about that particular <laughs> bill, but you know, paying other bills over the next yeah, six, I mean, seven years. I, I thought it was interesting that you said to, you're, what you get affecting future generations. Yeah. And I think that's the thing we some kind, sometimes discount. Like, mm-hmm. you want to be here, stay here, play here. But we always have to factor that in, that the players' union, they want to make sure yeah. you're also setting the stage for was to come because every single one of those inches that you give is a mile when it comes to that CBA <laughs> business and that's kind of the way it plays out so that's what's going on as far as Dansby Swanson's free agency we got a lot more to talk about when it does come to the outcome of what the Braves have to decide as far as their free agents are concerned and we'll do it as we continue here on from the diamond on sports radio 92.9 the game back to Graham McCauley for more from the diamond on sports radio 92.9 the game and welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios in Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We appreciate you making us part of your Saturday. We know you got all kinds of sports going on, so hopefully you got a whole bunch of TVs, but only one radio right here on From the Diamond. Now, the Braves have got more than one job this offseason. We talked a lot about Dansby Swanson, and justifiably so, because the Braves' all-star shortstop is really headlining the class of free agents that Atlanta needs to take a long look at and kind of figure out who they want to have back and how exactly they can get those deals done. That's what Alex Anthopoulos' job is, and we'll see if he's able to you know, make the move to get Swanson back. But if not, he's got a lot of other things to do and a lot of other players out there to consider. So I thought this would be fun. You brought this up on Battery Power this week, which if you haven't checked that out, you can find it on YouTube. And, of course, you can follow our friends over there uh, at Battery Power on Twitter, get all the great Braves coverage that Corey and I are also a part of. But, you know, one of the big fun exercises, I think, is kind of having that uh, fantasy GM, I believe was how you described it, uh, mentality when you look at all the players that are out there. And how great would they look on my team, and how exactly can we make it happen? So I thought we might go through over the next couple of segments some of the Braves free agents and then the openings that could be there for the Braves and will be there, uh, seeing if they can come back or seeing if maybe there's some candidates out there that might not be a bad addition to the 2023 Braves and beyond. So we start with Dansby Swanson, and you just heard from him, his visit with Carl and Mike on Dukes and Bell. Make sure you check it out over on 92.9thegame.com. You can find it on the Odyssey app. If you want the full replay of that, Dansby spent a whole hour up here in the Kia studios talking to those two guys, so make sure you check that out uh, in and of itself. Now, if Dansby's back, Corey, as we know, that covers that. That's shortstop for the next five, six, seven years. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we assume it'll be several years anyway. If Atlanta signs another shortstop, though, and Dansby is not in the picture, who do you think is that top target, or do you think it's even a free agent signee at all? Yeah, and I, th- I think you had to have to preface this saying, how, why is Dansby not there? Is it because right. you know there's some projections that he could get into $30 million a year range, which I just don't think is, is realistic, one, for what the Braves want to pay for him, and secondarily, what I think the value of him uh, is on the market. I think we've seen around you know, 20 224 around that yeah. range. I think that's a little bit more realistic. But if they don't have Dansby Swanson and you're already thinking, okay, we could go into the 30s here or Dansby once into the 30s, I think somebody with a little bit more of a an offensive pedigree, a proven pedigree offensively, 
uh, makes a little bit more sense. I love Trey Turner. I mean, I think that combination of speed, power, and average, there's just there's nobody in this shortstop class that matches that. You go back to 2016, and he leads all shortstops in average, steals. He's eighth in home runs. He's the only player in the top eight in all those categories in that span and has the second-highest fan graph war in that span as well. He was 6'3 this last season. So yeah. um, does he want to come back to the East Coast? Uh, I know there's been talks about that, having played for the Dodgers for the mm-hmm. past couple seasons. Obviously a Florida native, NC State product. He'd look fantastic in Braves uniforms. I think that there. he would. And one of the other big things about signing a Trey Turner, if you're the Atlanta Braves, is you never have to face him again. Because <laughs> I was starting to think over the last couple of years that they were down at the old ballpark that it was called Turner Field. Because when Trey Turner came to town, he owned the place. <laughs> yeah. and he owned the Braves. And it just seemed like they couldn't get him out. And, you know, that may not be, and all jokes aside, the case. But Trey Turner is one of the best shortstops in baseball. And I would imagine as we look at what the shortstop market was a year ago, I'm not saying anybody's going to get what Corey Seager got. The 10 years, $325 million. I'm sure Carlos Correa would love to approach that, and maybe he will get it. He seems like the only one that might in terms of the overall years. But the average annual value, you would imagine that you'll be talking about Correa, uh, Xander Bogarts, and Trey Turner all as being able to up their value considerably. And the years might be the only thing that really depends between those guys. And I'm not saying that you know the market was completely set last year, but I have a hard time imagining that it's going to vary too much from not the high mark where Corey Seager is at $32.5 million over 10 years, but you had Marcus Simeon at 7 and 175. You had Trevor Story at 6 and 140. You had Javi Baez at 6 and 140. It's hard not to think that that 6 and 140 number is more about where the market probably starts to, you know, to come into shape and, and come into focus for, say, a Dansby Swanson who would be getting, by a contract like that, about 23 to $24 million a year. And if you look at the extension of Austin Riley, the extension of Matt Olson, the two most recent ones for position players, they're making about 21 to $23 million a year on average annual value. Yeah, and I, I think we've talked about this before, too. I don't know what the ceiling is offensively for Dansby Swanson. We may have already seen it. We may, yep. we may have a better understanding of where he could be offensively. Uh, you know, as opposed to Austin Riley, where I feel like you know we're just scratching the surface of how good he consistently could be. I think the same thing for for Matt Olson. So I, I think when you consider those two at twenty one uh, AAV, I don't see really Swanson going that much further, despite the fact that he is, does play you know a premier position defensively, and he obviously just won a Gold Glove a couple of days ago. And the other thing that he gets to do that those two guys forsook when they took their deals is he gets to go to free agency, and that is an yep. equalizer, and that's exactly what the player deserves. It's what you play all the way at to get out there and have that opportunity for, and if or until you sign an extension with your team and don't want to do all that, and. You know, I, I, you can't vilify a, any player, and I never will, for going out and taking the money. And I can tell you this, if a team or teams, plural, are calling around offering Dansby Swanson $30-plus million, you'll get no complaints from me if he takes one of those offers because he gets one opportunity to go out and make this big money contract. And if that is an important thing for him, and if it's significantly more than other offers he gets, this is, at the end of the day, a business. And I think what we heard from Dansby is it is a business. But you know his loyalty and his love for Atlanta, for the Braves, and for the Atlanta sports scene in general – is a big part of who he is as a professional, as a person. So it'll be interesting to see what role all of that plays. As we do look at those other shortstops, I mean, assuming the Braves are able to bring back Dansby Swanson as maybe a best-case scenario for most people, I'm sure other folks are out there looking at, oh, can we get Trey Turner? Can we get Carlos Correa? Would Xander Bogarts come here? Maybe, maybe, and maybe. Can't say no. But if you don't get one of those higher upper echelon guys, I just still have the feeling like, and Alex Anthopoulos has the ability to swing a deal, and maybe it's a trade that brings in the answer there because I just don't see any other attractive free agent options at shortstop, and I'm just not convinced that they're ready to turn the keys over to Vaughn Grissom and say, hey, it's here, it's yours, and go show us what you can do. I just 
I'm not sure that they're at that point yet and that they're willing to take the step back into uncertainty and say, well, we hope he can do it, and let's find out. Yeah, I mean, there's some stopgap kind of options out there. I mean, Jose Iglesias is that kind of player. Uh, you're going to get some really good defen- uh, defensive stuff out of him, but I, I, offensively, I mean, he's kind of been a black hole of sorts. And I, I think it's it's almost to the end of how are you approaching the shortstop position if you don't have Dansby Swanson and you don't want to go get one of those guys that could border on $30 million a year. Yeah. If you think Von Grissom is the answer, if you think Braden Shoemake is the answer, then you go on that short-term end of it. But – you know, if you're not going to do that, I mean, I just don't know why you wouldn't be on the on that that top tier of shortstops. So, I mean, I think it's it's basically all or nothing. I think that has to be the approach, right? Because I just cannot see them, you know, kind of just getting a mid tier guy and we'll just roll with him for a couple of years. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, this may be an obvious statement, but I just don't think that they're going to willfully take a step back at that position and say, all right, well, this is part of our plan was taking a step back here. This is a club that's in what should be a World Series contention window that lasts for several more years, if not for most of the rest of this decade, just by the quite obvious look at how they've locked up their core and how good this club has been over the last five years. They have set their sights on winning and winning consistently, and they've been committed to doing that. And in so doing, the payroll has risen commensurate with a club that you would expect to be spending to go with the winning that the Braves have been doing, capped off by the World Series in 2021. Now, there are other aspects of this Braves club that they do have to figure out as we continue to discuss Things on the hot stove that the Braves are well aware of and will be out there shopping for here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game on From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you. You know, the Braves did not get the production they needed to out of left field, and that might be the biggest understatement of the show. It just wasn't very pretty. Outside of some home runs, they did not get the run production and the consistency they needed, and that bled over into the DH spot as well. William Contreras, Travis Darno, when they weren't catching, they could kind of help out at the DH spot. But, Corey, I just feel like the Braves have got to figure out an answer to that spot. And in order to solve this problem, you have to figure out what is the future of Marcelo Zuna in a Braves uniform, or does he have a future in a Braves uniform? Because what he does have is two years and $37 million remaining on his contract. Yeah, the Braves were tied for the worst production in the league in left field last year, a minus 0.8 fan graph war. They were middle of the road at DH, and as you mentioned, those things kind of go hand in hand. Obviously, Eddie Rosario's season didn't play well into you know what you got production-wise out of either one of those spots, and with him dealing with the eye injury, and when he was on the field, he just he just wasn't he just wasn't there, and you know certainly Ozuna has taken such a, a major step back uh, since his 2020 you know, monster season. So I, I you know I feel like they've got to do something there, and whether or not they feel like they need an everyday guy, and you allow Rosario to kind of slide back into his role, or you look for a platoon that you can go along with Rosario. I mean, there's just so many options out there in terms of who they potentially could bring in. And, you know, we can get into some of the the candidates here, but I just, I don't feel like the answer to what they have for left field is currently sitting on that bench. No, I don't think that the answer to what they need or have for left field or have in their minds for left field next year is currently on the roster under contract. And I don't think the same can be said for DH. I mean, you can make a case for William Contreras getting a bunch of at-bats at DH. I mean, you're going to hopefully have Manny Pena come back and maybe he'll be part of your catching solution. But I don't want William Contreras to take the better part of a year off just from catching just to be the DH, and I'm not sure that you know the impact bat, if you start playing him every day but unplugging him from a position, is going to be quite the same as it was. Not that he should fall off a cliff, but it's just you start changing a lot of different variables for a player, especially a young player like that. I don't know. You're, you're just changing things that 
I don't necessarily know that would be the most beneficial, but you can't argue with what William Contreras gave you with the stick. But if you are looking for somebody to be a more full-time answer to the problem that you had with production, particularly from DH and in left field, which, again, I think the two are tied together, uh, free agent options that are interesting to me, I think maybe a bounce-back one-year deal with somebody like J.D. Martinez of the Red Sox might be the kind of answer that you could look at. And we know Alex Antopoulos has not been bashful in the past about finding that veteran on a one-year, make-good, bounce-back kind of deal that could play a big way, and I'm kind of looking at Josh Donaldson here. Yeah, I like the more. I, I would like the idea of Martinez, but I'm going to pander to the masses here and go with a reunion with Jock Peterson because okay. I, I think you look. I mean, obviously, the, there was the there was the the narrative on him before he got here the first time that he you know he he was a platoon player and he couldn't you couldn't roll him out there every day. He's above league average against both righties and lefties last season with the Giants. Hit 23 home runs. And his social media kind of got Braves fans excited with the number of reposts lately that had him in a Braves uniform. Got a market value of $14.6 million. I, and I think the other side of that, too, is he was so key in the Braves clubhouse culture when he got here in 2021. And I think that would just be a, a major you know, addition to what he could bring, obviously, with uh, along with being able to shore things up and give you a guy that you could roll out there every day if you want to. And you can put him in a platoon situation if you need to do that as well. But certainly, I think he'd have immense value uh, for this roster without question. Yeah, and I think it would be a shot in the arm, both offensively speaking and a shot in the arm from the the culture of that clubhouse and what made them, it maybe gave them their edge that they needed in 2021 because the club needed some kind of a wake-up call. And it you know it only looked like it was going to go from bad to worse when they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. for the year. But we all know how that fairy tale ended. And Jack Peterson was a big part of that in making that kind of a thing happen. The only real things I look at in that situation is you bring over another left-handed bat. Though he did hit lefties well last year, could he get the opportunity to do that? That remains to be seen. The Giants gave him a chance to do it last year, and it seemed to have worked out pretty well. But you've already got the lefty hitting Eddie Rosario, who is under contract. you got to figure out something to do with the elephant in the room, which is Marcelo Zuna and his $37 million. At least I feel like you do. And the reason I looked at Martinez was because this is a guy who was OPSing well over 900 for about a six-, seven-year span before kind of going into a bit of a lull last year with the Boston Red Sox. Some of the power numbers were down, home runs, doubles were up, all the run production was down, but the Red Sox really suffered through an offseason for them all together offensively, I think, like and Martinez was just one of those. But with the DH being a thing in the National League now, yeah, maybe a change of scenery and jumping into a lineup that has an awful lot of power will help re-energize a slugger like that who is – you know, probably looking for that bounce-back deal and probably not going to command anything close to the deal he got the last time out with the Red Sox. Now, quickly, because we don't have a lot of time to devote to it, but I just feel like it's worth bringing up, Adam Duvall's been a really nice fit here for the Braves. I sure would be interested in figuring out a way to maybe have him back in the mix in some way, shape, or form. Corey, how about you? Yeah, and he was fantastic, too, after Michael Harris II got there, and he didn't have to worry about playing center field anymore and, you know, told me he was able to get his legs from under him you know, when he was hitting and didn't feel, you know, quite as much of a, uh, you know, exhaustion when he was getting to the plate. So I think what you got from him late is, is a little bit more of a sign of what you potentially could have uh, in him in a return. And I think, you know, from a financial standpoint, I think you get Adam Duvall a lot cheaper than some of these guys we're talking about. Yeah, and I think over the final six weeks of his season, which did end early because of injury, he was one of the Braves' top three or four hitters in terms of what he was giving them consistency-wise at a time in which the Braves' season really started to come together offensively. Well, that'll bring it into this segment, but we got more Braves talk coming your way because we got to turn our attention to the pitching staff. What kind of changes could be made? Have we seen all the changes? We'll talk about it next. I'm Grant McCauley. He's Corey McCartney. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. 
I love baseball. Now back to more Grant McCauley and From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. And welcome back. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley alongside Corey McCartney on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. From the Kia Studios, as always. We invite you, if you've been enjoying some of this baseball talk here on a Saturday afternoon, make sure you're following us on Twitter. I'm at Grant McCauley. He is at Corey J. McCartney. Of course, you can follow the station at 92.9 The Game. You can also find the show at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. And most importantly, you can subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast, or find us on the Odyssey app as well. Now, Corey, we've talked a lot about the Braves, their shortstop dilemma you know, with free agent Dansby Swanson becoming a real thing after the World Series, and, of course, other decisions to be made in left field and at DH, I think, are the two spots the Braves could probably look to improve over last year. But the Braves pitching staff has also got some interesting discussions to be had around it, and it's because there have been some big names that have been linked to perhaps being interested in pitching for the Braves. I'm looking at you, Jacob deGrom, because that report came out, what, three months ago, and that's had people kind of speculating, would the Braves be a landing spot for Jacob deGrom? Is he really going to leave the Mets and opt out of the final years of his contract? We're going to find out pretty soon. Uh, but are the Braves done, do you think, in rotation and with the needs in rotation after they extended Charlie Morton, or do you think that they could go after a bigger fish this winter? I don't. They don't have to, right? I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, if you can get someone that that can, you know, help you on the short term without, you know, bottlenecking things for all those young arms that we've talked so much. I mean, Ian Anderson, you know, has performed at the postseason level. We know yeah. what Mike Soroka is capable yeah. of. Kyle Muller, Bryce Elder, you know, on and on and on. I think as long as you're not hamstringing yourself, I think that's where there's interest. That's why I think DeGrom is just a pipe dream because I, what he's going to command, the amount of years he's going to want, just does not seem feasible. I think if you're going to do something with the rotation, you get someone with a high AAV on an extremely short-term deal, and there are some options that would be very enticing for that. Now I'm going to turn the page into that discussion in just a moment, but to circle back in on DeGrom and for people that are wondering, I mean, what would this look like if he does opt out? I mean, the big thing is, even though he's on the air quotes wrong side of 30 and he has had some injury issues over the past couple of years, we're still talking about one of the best pitchers on the planet and if he does opt out, and you look at what Max Scherzer, who was uh, quite a few years older than Jacob deGrom, and a similar, very, I think, I don't know, nuanced case, if you will, with uh, what he's done, and then also kind of having a little health thing here late with the Dodgers and going through some health things with the Mets this year, Max Scherzer got $43 million a year over three years from the New York Mets. I mean, I can't imagine that Jacob deGrom is going to opt out of a deal that's paying him $30-plus million a year and say, yeah, I'm going to go sign for the same money somewhere else and for the same amount of years. I just don't see that being a thing. Yeah, that's not happening. He's got a market value of $41 million and you, you have to think he's eyeing what Scherzer got and thinking that that's got to be the foundation of yeah. that's That's where you start things with him, which is why I think, you know, unless, say, a, a team like you know the, the Giants, somebody that really wants to make a splash and is going to overpay, trying to go dollar for dollar with the Mets and Steve Cohen saying, if he's not here, it's not going to be because of money. Mm-hmm. He's going to make it very hard to pry him away from New York I mean, financially. That's a pretty serious statement, too, from a guy that's got some pretty deep pockets. I mean, there's another team that I look at that could spend some money and should spend some money probably on the rotation. That's the Texas Rangers. I just feel like they're a club that's out there that could pounce on somebody. Now, will it be Jacob deGrom? I don't know. I just feel like the Rangers are moving into that place where – as they start to put together the pieces of what they're hoping is going to be a contender in Texas, they're going to have to address that rotation and really get somebody in there to lead that pack. Now, Jacob deGrom, if he does opt out of his deal, which he's expected to, is not the only key free agent who could be out there that could opt out of a deal or at least decline an option. And you brought up one-year big-money guys, and I think that 
The poster child of that is the same guy it was a year ago for a lot of clubs who ended up back with the Houston Astros. We just saw him win a game in the World Series, so good for him. That's Justin Verlander, and he's a guy that's got a Cooperstown resume, and he may have another Cy Young on his mantle by the time he signs his next contract, and I expect him to. Yeah, he said in August that he expects, uh, you know, if he was going to stay healthy and he was performing at the level he was performing at, that he expected to opt out and hit the market this winter. He's going to, in all likelihood, win another Cy Young in the coming days, so I firmly expect he's going to hit the market once again. You can bet big on a one-year deal on Justin Verlander. I mean, a market value of $41 million going into his age 40 season. He shows no signs of slowing down. Um, looks, you know, fan- I, Obviously, you know, he had the clunker in, early in the World Series, but, man, he rebounded big time, had a 175 ERA on the season, 185 strikeouts over 28 starts. I just think he's more liable to take a, a one-year deal with an option year attached um, you know, he had an option year for 2023 at 25 million, but you're probably looking at, you know, into that 40 range to get him. But man, just think what that could be, what that would bring to this rotation when you think about the pieces that are already in place here in Atlanta. I just wonder for a guy like Justin Verlander, if it will in fact be in the $40 million range. And I'm not saying that he wouldn't take that money if somebody offers it to him, but do you not think that it might be more in the 25 to 30 range? Because this is a guy that's made 300 plus, 300 plus million dollars, at least gross in his salaries over the course. So if he's going somewhere, it's going to have to do with money, sure, but also I'm going to go win because, you know, and I heard John Smoltz talking about this on the broadcast, and while I look at it and say, unlikely, if Justin Verlander wants to keep pitching every year and does anything close to what he was doing last year, he might have an outside shot at winning 300 games. And if he wants to do that, he's going to have a very specific list of teams that he would be willing to go ply his craft for. And it's not going to be for a team that just happens to throw a bunch of money on him and can't figure out a way to win 75 games. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the Rangers, right? And if you think if, if the other team in Texas wants to make a major splash, how do you do that? You go and pry the, the ace away from That'd the other something. team by overpaying for him. But yeah, it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be an extremely short list of teams and it's going to be a, a winner and it's going to be a place where he can continue to forge that legacy. It may, it may not be that $40 million range, but at least based on war uh, and based on you know where he lines up with other players comparably, mm-hmm. uh, that's the expected value value for Verlander going into the winter. Yeah, and it's important, as we've talked about this quite a bit, that these values are based on other models for different players and contracts and ages and, of course, the production on the field, the wins above replacement, and a lot of other stats, not to spend too long explaining it. But essentially, you look at what a player should be worth as he goes out there. Now, will everybody get that? No. Will some guys get more than that? They absolutely will. And we'll see how it all plays out. But it gives us at least an idea of what the overall value of a player is. And that, of course, is what we do this time of year as we get tuned up to see who's going to sign for what, for how long, and how this whole thing is going to play ultimately. And you talked about legacies and legacies that have been built. Clayton Kershaw has built a pretty good one out there on the West Coast with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I feel like he's kind of entered that place where he's either going to pitch for the Dodgers or he may not pitch at all. But he is a guy from Texas, and again, I've brought up the Rangers, and this is not a Rangers-specific show, but <laughs> if there was a fit outside of Los Angeles, Texas would seem to be a place he'd be interested in, and I don't think he'd be pitching for the Astros. But Alex Anthopoulos has some Dodger roots and clearly an appreciation for great pitching, and you know, Clayton Kershaw checks an awful lot of those boxes. Do you think Atlanta could do the same thing they did with Kinley Jansen and maybe lure another Dodger great to – come try a season in Atlanta and see how he likes it? I think if you go after Clayton Kershaw, you have to do it with the understanding that you're not going to get 30-plus starts out of this guy anymore. Correct. And I think if he were to go to certain situations, you know, maybe he might feel a little bit more pressure. So be it the Dodgers, be it an organization like the Braves that has Alex Anthopoulos who has those Dodgers ties – 
being in a situation where they have an understanding of that and are going to be okay with him getting those breaks every once in a while, understanding that you know he, he just doesn't have the the ability to have the miles on him like he once did. That's going to be a major piece of it, which is why I think he might be more apt to look at Atlanta if he doesn't stay in L.A. as, a, as opposed to going to the Texas Rangers. Now let me bookend all of this discussion about another starter for the Braves, being that you know you might start at the top of the market with a Jacob deGrom that a lot of clubs would love to have and the Mets would love to retain. Let's point that out. Then you've got some other guys who may be out there, and you've got a Carlos Rodon who had a career year. He's much younger with the San Francisco Giants. He's had to overcome some injuries and inconsistency but became one of the better pitchers in baseball all of last year. And we've seen different guys, whether it's Robbie Ray or Kevin Gossman or a slew of others that take a year like that and go get paid somewhere big, get their nine-figure contract. I mean, Luis Castillo didn't even have to hit free agency. He went ahead and got it with the Seattle Mariners after being traded over there. I would imagine that Rodon is probably looking at a pretty good payday himself. And, you know, for a lot of folks that look out there and think, oh, well, he'll, he'll sign. maybe he'll sign a short-term deal. Maybe you can get him with a big AAV. A lot of these guys are still looking for just the consistency and knowing where they're going to be pitching for the next five or six years in addition to what they're going to be making per season. But I also want to throw in the fairly obvious component of this, and you mentioned a lot of these names. The Braves have Ian Anderson and Kyle Muller, and they've got Mike Soroka. You would imagine they've got to figure that out, of course, with tendering him a contract this offseason. But being as he took a lot of steps towards being you know, healthy for the first time in quite some time, I would expect him to be back. Um, and whether it is a, a Bryce Elder, Mike Soroka, Ian Anderson, Kyle Muller, whoever you might look at, these are good options for a fifth starter when you have a rotation that has Max Fried, Kyle Wright, Spencer Strider, and Charlie Morton in it already. That's why I wouldn't do anything, right? I mean, I think unless you're going to, and you can go out there and get kind of those guys that are in that second to third tier. I threw Jose Quintana out to you the other day, a guy mm-hmm. who had a really resurgent year and was really, really good after he got traded to the Cardinals. But if you're not going to go and get one of those game-changing kind of starting pitchers What's and you have point? that, yeah, what, what, why do it, right? Yeah. I mean, they've just got so many different guys uh, that, that are really viable options that they got to get figured out at some point or another. Uh, I just don't think that there's really any onus on the Braves to, to make a move in terms of the starting pitchers. And Alex Anthopoulos has never seemed like a GM to me from my discussions with him and from watching you know, what he does and from the way he's you know, discussed pretty much every deal he's done. He's not just going to spend money to spend money. Everything's going to have a purpose to him. And you know, he relayed this story about going out and signing one more veteran reliever closer. I think it was Francisco Cordero when he was with the Blue Jays, and it didn't work out. But that was kind of money that – you know, may have been better spent later on in the season. And you know that Alex Antablos can pull off a trade or three, whether it's at the trade deadline or some other time, and maybe over the course of the winter, you just never know. So anyway, I don't think he's going to feel a lot of pressure on himself to push something and force something to happen in that rotation, particularly if you do have other needs. And maybe these things that, as we know, don't all have to happen in a specific order, you see what happens, and then you are able to react and respond to that accordingly. But uh, as you do go through the winter, every club's looking to add pitching. It's not just about the rotation, and the Braves might be in a pretty good spot there, but the Braves have a very nice bullpen, but I think you can always stockpile some more arms. There has been some discussion, whether it was from the postseason uh, media availability from Alex Anthopoulos when the Braves were eliminated in the NLDS about the door being open for Kenley Jansen to be back. You and I have talked about it on this show. Whether it's Kenley Jansen or somebody else, I, I really expect the Braves to go out there and maybe try to find another premium t- type of reliever who could give them the same advantage that they've been enjoying for the October of 2021 and for most of 2022 with a pretty good bullpen. Yeah, and I think you have to ask yourself, do you want to turn the keys as closer over to Rossiel Iglesias? And if you do that, I think it changes the complexion of the kind of clo- the kind of reliever that you go out and make a run at. Because if you're going to bring out Ken- Kenley Jansen, I think you're going to keep Iglesias in that same role. 
But if you're rolling with Iglesias' closer, that, that kind of then you can look at a David Robertson, you can look at an Andrew Chafin, you can look at a d- number of different kinds of relievers. You could look at a reunion with Craig Kimbrell if you want to go down the, that could. path as well. I think there's a bunch of different options, you know, as opposed to you know if you feel like okay, we really like Iglesias in this setup role, we need to get somebody that can really nail down that ninth for us. Yeah, I don't know that the Craig Kimbrell thing will happen. I won't say that it won't, but obviously he has had some ups and downs in his career over the past three or four years. I'm talking from the production standpoint to the, hey, in 2019, is anybody going to sign me because of the stupid qualifying offer compensatory pick that was attached to him? But, you know, there's just a lot of different guys out there, and we'll see what direction it goes and what makes the most sense. But Atlanta has a great bullpen, whether Kenley Jansen steps back in, whether they sign somebody else. And as you and I have talked about a lot, and as we've learned in October's uh, past, particularly in 2021, you have a lot of important outs for high leverage arms before you even get to who's getting the final three outs. You just want to know that when you hand that lead to the guy right. in the ninth inning, that he's going to be able to do the job way more times than not. And I feel like the Braves have been in that position over the past couple of years. And whether it's Iglesias closing and somebody else coming in, or, man, Iglesias, even though he's you know, making a premium he was quite the weapon as the Braves were able to have, a, maybe we'll call it the night shift version two, helping them win some important games down the stretch. Yeah, he, I mean, he obviously was fantastic for him. And then you think about, you know, how do you, do you want to approach it? Do you want to have just a, a collection of arms and we just give me my high leverage guys in high leverage situations? Or do you want a situation where everyone's kind of slotted in? You know, in those roles, which some closers, uh, some relievers really like that, sure. knowing exactly where they're going to be pitching at. So I like the idea of just roll your guy out there when you need those specific outs. Um, but I think that could be key in how the Braves decide to approach whatever signings they need to make in terms of the, how this bullpen looks yeah. going into the spring. Well, I mean, I love quality. I also love quantity. Let's right. see what the Braves are able to stockpile. Over the course of the offseason as the bullpen goes. That wraps up Hour 1 here on From the Diamond, but don't go anywhere. we got lots more Braves and baseball talk for you coming up. We'll continue our Braves hot stove discussion with Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's on the Braves beat, and we'll get his thoughts on Dansby Swanson and the other Braves needs and much more. It's coming your way next right here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grandma Coley for more From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back to From the Diamond here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you as always here on a Saturday afternoon. But right now, let me welcome in my guest at this time. He is Justin Toscano. He is the AJC's Braves beat writer. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Justin, been a couple of weeks since we've been able to catch up, and I think it's pretty safe to say the season ended a couple of weeks earlier than maybe we had planned. And, of course, that's true for Braves fans as well, as we all sit around watching the team that put Atlanta out, the Philadelphia Phillies, playing in the World Series. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I thought you and I would be seeing each other in different quarters this time of year, but uh, ended a little soon. But I guess, you know, time to turn the page, look ahead, and uh, Braves got something good going, as we saw last year, and, and chance to continue it on for the foreseeable future. Yeah, you always want to have that chance, that seat at the table come October, and it does seem like the Braves are going to have that opportunity with the team that they put together. But now, of course, the focus is going to go on reloading and getting that team ready for 2023. But as we know, when the World Series ends, the hot stove begins. The Braves, though, got a little bit of a head start on it this year, and we know that the Braves are a team that has needs. Not as many as some clubs, but I think the biggest focus, is safe to say, is on shortstop. So let's start there. What's your read on the Dansby Swanson situation and the likelihood that he's going to be wearing a Braves uniform when the 2023 season begins? What I had heard the second half of the season was that the two sides talked and exchanged figures. They were pretty far apart in that first negotiation. It it seemed how far, I mean, you know, how much the discussions progressed is kind of unclear. But by far apart, I mean, there was 
some money to be made up on both sides, but they could have split it. I think there could have been some common ground there. Now, it didn't work out. Uh, and the probability for his return is an interesting thing to me because there's so many layers to this. And you've seen Dansby Swanson mm-hmm. kind of grow throughout his career. This was the best of Dansby Swanson. 2022 was the best version that we have seen of him. He has a very much earned the right to ask for however much he wants. But what I'm interested to learn about the Braves kind of in the coming weeks, maybe even the next couple weeks, yeah. is how much do they value the leadership versus what they could get elsewhere on the open market. And what I mean by that is that if Dansby Swanson asks for, say, if his price goes up to 145, 150, 155, 160, and this is just this is just speculation. Mm-hmm. At what point do they say, okay, well, we haven't really done a Trey Turner type deal or haven't done a Carlos Correa type deal, but we should probably shift our focus to that. At what point does his asking price become so much that they say, you know, this guy was basically the unequivocal captain of our club, yep. but we think we can get more talent and more upside in the deal and where our money's going to go elsewhere. And so that's what I'm really interested to see is where is that line going to be for them? I think the question really becomes when you start to look at all of the free agent shortstops that are out there, whether it's Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, you know, those being the guys that alongside Dansby Swanson are really highlighting this group, offensively speaking, those are guys that I think have a higher profile. But when you put the defense and the offense together in the breakout season, we see a Dansby Swanson that's shown us he has arrived as a complete player. And it's not just 2022. I mean, he's been trending in this direction for a few years. But I guess the question is, can you follow this kind of season up? And is there any other upside still available above and beyond what he's shown us so far? As somebody who's seen Dansby Swanson's whole career, I think you would agree that is he going to be this offensive player, you know, in the future? Like, we don't know. Like, that's a very big question mark. The defense, I think, is going to be there. The leadership, obviously, is going to be there. He's very important. And the Braves know they can't afford to lose him from that standpoint of what he did in the clubhouse, especially after they lost a guy like Freddie Freeman. But Dansby Swanson has really earned his right to go for whatever he wants this offseason. And he bet on himself. And that paid off. And... He's going to make a lot of money, but there are sacrifices to be made. And and on one end, it's like the way players and agents see it is sometimes you got to take a little less to stay with an Atlanta Braves type situation. If you want to win consistently, you might get more somewhere else, but will you win? Do you like the market? Do you like the city? This is home for Dansby. He said that on the record, said it to me in the second half of the season when I wrote about this and just said, this is my home. Of course, I want to be here. You know, when Mallory and I, his fiance when they look at things they see their kids growing up in atlanta yeah that means something players wanting to play in atlanta means something and the organization that alex anthopoulos has built uh one that cares about not only players but their families everything else even off the field is important but man if the price goes up and up and up i wonder at what point the braves will say you know what maybe we should splurge for trey turner because one interesting thing here is that this Braves team, and you watched them all year too, they don't have a lot of needs this offseason. Right. And payroll should be going up. So maybe they can splurge on a shortstop. They don't seem to have an in-house plan B. Uh, Vaughn Grissom, you know, according to scouts and what how the Braves have scouted him, could be an above-average defender at this level, but doesn't maybe doesn't have the range to play shortstop long-term. Um, so, yeah, I think – probability I still think is pretty decently good like I still think that that's the best situation for both sides is the Dansby Swanson Braves reunion 
chatting with Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution here on From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And, of course, the number one topic, and Dansby Swanson was in our studios talking about how important it is to be in Atlanta, how much it means to him, obviously, and the fact that, as we've brought up and as we've talked about, and we don't necessarily have to revisit here, but that Freddie Freeman's situation was, in fact, Freddie Freeman's situation, and Dansby is not going to let that paint his situation with that same brush. So that's something that's good to hear. And if Dansby Swanson does feel that way and does take command of these negotiations in a way that has him, you know, up front, uh, riding shotgun, if you will, on figuring out where he wants to be, then I do think they can bridge this gap. And I agree with you, Justin. I do think a reunion between Dansby Swanson and the Braves or continuing this relationship is what makes the most sense for both sides. And I think we can take a look out there and see how the shortstop market is, how it was a year ago where you had multiple shortstops getting big money, nine-figure contracts, and you figure there's going to be multiple shortstops, including Dansby Swanson, in line for nine-figure contracts this year as well. But having covered the Braves for the better part of the last decade and a half and being a fan for even longer than that, if you're telling me the Braves are going to give out a $200-plus million contract to a shortstop, I'm just going to have to see it to believe it. But it's going to be a fascinating part of the hot stove for us to be monitoring throughout the course of the winter just to see where everybody lands. Uh, Justin, you mentioned that Atlanta doesn't have a lot of other needs, but I do feel like there are a couple of different things on the list. And I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on Charlie Morton coming back to the Braves. I don't think is really that much of a shock. Atlanta picked up a $20 million option, basically, by tearing up his old option and giving him the same deal again with another option for 2024. Now, we can talk about two years from now some other time, but having Charlie Morton back in the mix, do you think that takes Atlanta out of really the premier starting pitching market or making a big move to bring somebody else into the rotation? I don't think so. I think Alex Anthopoulos has shown the willingness to adapt and shown the willingness to be flexible. When you look at the Braves' ideal rotation right now, You've got five names in your head and five pretty clear names of that. But I think Alex Anthopoulos has just shown the willingness to not even tear up a plan, but to go a different route, to, to go a route that if it's going to make the club better, hey, he'll adjust in some way. You're right about the Charlie Morton deal in that basically all they did was erase the question and, and mm-hmm. you know, it helped Charlie avoid getting that question about his future. Um, but I still think they could do something here, especially if, you know, a big name starter is willing to take a two year, $80 million deal or a one year, you know, for 35 or Mm -hmm. for 36 or something like that. I think the Braves with where their payroll is could be in play for something like that. Now, would they want to do it? Who knows? They traditionally haven't done that a lot, especially with free agents starting pitching. But we talked about all year how the extensions to Riley, to Harris, to Olsen, to Strider. Mm -hmm. This core, they've done a lot to lock it up. And one of those benefits of that is not that you're just going to have those players for the foreseeable future, but it allows you to be more flexible this time of year. And so I don't think that'll completely take them out of it at all. I think they could be in play. Now, I don't see a Jacob deGrom type deal happening with what he might demand, but you know, maybe somebody, if it's Verlander, who knows? If it's Radone, who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, I think if a starter is willing to take two years and $65 million or a year, 30 whatever, then the Braves might say, hey, like, let's roll the dice on this thing for a year. Most of our needs are set. Let's give ourselves the best chance at having that 1A, 1B elite rotation, the things that you see that win you games in October. Yeah. But I think Alex Anthopoulos, again, like I said, is very smart. This goes again to what we were talking about at shortstop. He's really made a living in Atlanta on the premise and the philosophy of 
I can sign anybody here, but I can't sign anybody and win. And I think they know that as well as anybody, that these big contracts have an opportunity to bog you down. There's a lot of risk with them. They've got a good core here. But because of that, that's why I could see anything that's going to make this team better, Alex Anthopoulos is going to explore. And I think he's shown the willingness to not be status quo on some things that we might look at as kind of set deals. Chatting with Justin Toscano of the AJC here on 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley with you on From the Diamond as always. And, you know, as we talk about the different winter moves and all the different options that are going to be out there, of course, for the Braves to explore, whether it's at shortstop where Dansby Swanson could be back, whether it's in the rotation, where there could be an upgrade. One question I think that Braves fans have been asking for quite some time is, hey, what is going to happen in left field and how are the Braves going to figure out a way to maybe divest themselves of Marcelo Zuna, get done with that, and move in another direction just from a production standpoint, saving all of the other things that have gone into that saga over the past couple of years. If you look at, Justin, where the Braves were from the DH perspective, from the left field perspective, offensively speaking, and, of course, defensively speaking in left field, they just weren't where they needed to be, and it's kind of surprising when you look at a playoff club that had a couple of different spots in the batting order that were questionable at best, or two different position groups that were questionable at times, particularly in left. I know Eddie Rosario is also under contract, but I've kind of been of the mind that you know when you talk about those one-year deals and what the Braves can do and what might be out there for them to maybe go out and get a bat that could solve the DH problem, you count on Eddie Rosario being able to bounce back and have a better year. What do you feel like the direction is for that now at this point? I know we've talked about it an awful lot. I know people have wanted to be done with it for a while, but it does feel like it kind of reached critical mass as we head into this offseason with two more years to go and $37 million owed to Ozuna. Yeah, that one has so many different sides to it because not only has he not produced, and his lack of production is reason enough to not give him a roster spot in 2023. If you're building this winning club, the best way you can tell your fans that, hey, we're not this small market team. We can flex that financial muscle. One way to do that is to give Marcelo Zuna's roster spot to somebody else. If you feel that his production hasn't been up to what you expect, and if you feel that that's not going to improve anytime soon. But you also have the other side of it is the Braves have done a really, really good job of building a brand of baseball and a roster that fans can be proud of. I think that's really, really important. You look at the good guys and a lot of the guys with great makeup on this current team. And you look at a couple of the headaches Ozuna has put you through and a couple of those serious cases that have, you know, endangered other people. And you wonder if that's part of the Braves brand of the future. Personally, I think they have to find a way. I think they will find a way to get rid of him and just kind of unload that contract, whether it's just eating it, but unload that. So it frees up a roster spot. Left field's going to be interesting because There are options there. One that I liked at the trade deadline was a guy like Andrew Benintendi Mm -hmm. because you you add a high OBP guy into a lineup with a bunch of power hitters. I think that can go well. But you look at the left-handedness, and you're still going to have Eddie Rosario. I could see an Adam Duvall return occurring because he's said to like Atlanta. But you look at DH. And I think right now, if the Braves don't make any trades, what you could do is William Contreras DHing the lion's share of that and then having Manny Pena be the backup catcher, then just using Contreras' bat in there at DH, and then you'd have in left field, I mean, you'd have probably a platoon. It's going to be Rosario. Maybe they bring back Grossman. Who knows? Um, but I think left field could be that as much as shortstop needs to be figured out, as much as starting pitching can be, you know, maybe they go out and get somebody. As much as they need to shore up that bullpen again and, and make sure it's going to be good running next year as it was the last two, 
left field could be that surprise where maybe they make a big trade there. But maybe it's Von Grissom. Maybe that's how they do the platoon. It's Von Grissom and Eddie Rosario. And maybe that's the way Grissom continues to develop and they continue to get his bat in the lineup. And maybe they like that. But I could see a trade happening there to solve that problem permanently because if you have a great left fielder, the Braves probably have the best outfield in the majors. And I think that means something. And, And you looked at it. I mean, you mentioned it a couple minutes ago. There were a couple spots in this lineup that just killed this team this year for as good as it was, and that was one of them. If they can shore that up, where's the weakness in this lineup? That's a great question, and it's one that the Braves will want to find the answers to over the course of the offseason, and we're knocking on the door of the hot stove. Justin, as always, I appreciate your time and look forward to chatting with you again throughout the winter. Let everybody know where they can find your work, and of course, I know you do some good podcast work on your own as well, so go ahead and feel free to plug that. Heck yeah. So, uh, yeah, Justin C. Toscano on Twitter and at uh, AJC.com. And we've got a podcast, The Braves Report. You guys do great work. Always love talking ball with you. And, uh, oh, yeah, hopefully catch you around sooner than later. I know I thought I'd be talking to you this week. We're instead talking over Zoom. Season ended a little early. But uh, before we know it, I think we'll kind of be getting back at it. Yeah, we'll be hearing those magic words. Pitchers and catchers, they'll be reporting too soon. I don't want to hit fast forward on the offseason altogether, though. But, Justin, thanks as always for your time. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Of course, Grant. Thanks for having me, man. All right, he's Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When we come back here on From the Diamond, we will jump into the World Series, the Astros, the Phillies, the Phillies, and the Astros. Who's going to take this thing? We'll talk about that and take a trip around the big leagues right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Graham McCauley for more from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. And welcome back in to From the Diamond. Grant McCauley alongside Corey McCartney again here in the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Thanks again to Justin Toscano of the AJC for checking in with us, talking a little bit about what we're all going to be talking about, what we're all going to be focused on as soon as the World Series is over. That's the hot stove. And, of course, what the Atlanta Braves are going to be doing so they can get themselves back into, Corey, the World Series. That, of course, is the goal. Nobody's repeated since the Yankees in the what the latter part of the 90s and early 2000s, prior to that in the National League, as you and I have talked about, it has been going on 50 years since a club was a repeat back-to-back World Series champion. And National League teams, historically, have not done that too many times either. But uh, be that as it may, we do have a World Series. It seems to be a nice back-and-forth battle between two clubs that, you know, you might not look at them on paper and say, well, they're very evenly matched. But when you've watched the way these games have played out, it has been a very interesting back and forth between the Astros, who are, of course, a team with 100 wins, one of the best teams, the best team in the American League, and there's not really a lot of question about that. The Phillies, meanwhile, had to work their way into the World Series, but then they got momentum on their side, and they rolled right on through to the World Series and really didn't seem to run out of steam until the Houston Astros did something that hadn't been done in the World Series since 1956. That's throwing no-hitter. I mean, it's just the kind of World Series I can get behind because if you're going to tell me I get to see something I've never seen before in my lifetime, sign me up. Yeah, I kind of look at it, though. I mean, the Phillies have obviously gotten to a place where nobody thought they were going to get to, and then they've gotten there, and they have shown that they deserve to be at this level. Yes, yes. But I look at Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola and the amount of runs that they've gotten tagged for throughout this series, and then the fact that you get no hit, and I, I think the – to me, the the Astros' starting pitching has just shown itself to be a completely different class in this series, and I think we have an opportunity here in Game 6 with Framber Valdez on the mound mm-hmm. to see a continuation of that. So Game 6 on Saturday night, the series could end on Saturday, could end on Sunday. We yep. do know there's a roof, so there shouldn't be any more rainouts in the World Series, so that's good to know. So that means that free agency will be coming our way 
very, very soon, as, as soon as this World Series is over. We just don't know who's going to put the finishing touches on this thing. It would be another great comeback for the Phillies. It would be a big part of their story. It would also be the third time in four years an NL East team has gone to the World Series and beat the Houston Astros, which, you know, I'm mildly amused in that kind mm-hmm. of thing, that kind of, I don't know, coincidence or a pattern, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I look at that no-hitter, and the fact that it came the day after the Phillies hit five home runs off Lance McCullers, Jr., and I don't know why he was out there to give up the fifth of those home runs. I would even say the fourth of those home runs maybe shouldn't have been out there for, but, you know, it is what it is. But Houston has one of the best bullpens in the game, and they got shut out on that night. Then they turn around and throw a no-hitter. So I guess I, I say all that to say that the Houston Astros, maybe now this season, as much as at any point in their recent run of success, are as good as they've ever been. Without question. And I think the way that you watched after Game 3, you, you thought, oh, man, the way this crowd is in, in Philly and this kind of team of destiny that it feels like is brewing here with this uh, this Philly group, it felt like things were turning. And then it's like the Astros just put their foot down and said, nope, we are yeah. you know far and away a better team. We have you know pitching that you just cannot touch, literally, uh, and showed that in Game 4 with that combined no-hitter. Um, and then we just saw Justin Verlander come out and you know and, and you know get that monkey off of his back yeah. as well and an opportunity here to close it out at home this weekend in Houston. Yeah, big time bounce back from Verlander and that I want to go back to that no hitter and then you know the the night after in which you know not only was it Verlander getting that victory so giving them back to back good starts I mean more than good in the case of the no hitter and and Christian Javier but you know the kind of games that the Astros have won in this series and the kind of games that the Phillies have won in this series really, I think, speak to what type of team they both are. Because the Phillies, they came out and did one of their good old classic 2022 Phillies. Hey, we're going to come back and score a whole bunch of runs and grab a game and win one. We weren't supposed to win at all. Because it's kind of been, I feel like, it's starting with their win over the Cardinals in the wild card series, a tone setter, if you will, for them in this postseason run. That's what they did to the Astros in Game 1. Houston bounces back nicely in Game 2. Game three, the Phillies come out and bomb them. Game four, we get a no-hitter. Game five, we get a nice, tight, nail-biter, one-run uh, win for the Astros. But that catch by Chas McCormick yeah, that was in center field was – and I am not a hyperbole person. I'm not a prisoner of the moment with recency bias. But when you think about some of the best catches you'll ever see in the World Series, that one I think is going to be playing on that reel for a long time to come. And one of the coolest things – I saw afterwards was, did you see all those pictures from the fans yeah. who were sitting above yeah. the warning track where McCormick had fallen onto his back, realizing that he had made the catch? He was only there for this instant, but this little imprint of him, like a little snow angel, yep. was just laying in the warning track. And they got these pictures of this, and it was amazing to see the comments on the picture of people, that's not real. That's the, How in the world would something like that be staged? I would just love to know that. And if you look at the way he falls, it's very clearly that. You can see the imprint. Uh, of it, but it's just amazing what we'll argue about on the internet. But just to go back to the overall play and and everything that came after it, I mean, that was a play that JT Romuto would have had extra bases on again. We've heard that story if you follow the NLDS, and there was a catch that was made that saved that game. And that's just a, one more way that the Astros seem to be this great all-around ball club. They make the plays. Yeah, McCormick's catch, uh, by the way, Romuto had a batted ball uh, expected average of 640 on that. Yeah. that. I mean, that tells you how ridiculous that catch was to be able to so make it. two-thirds of the time, that's yeah. expected to be a I mean, base hit. It was just a, a fantastic moment when you're going to see for a very, very long time. But, I mean, I go back to the starting pitching, and especially in Game 4 when you think about Christian Javier, and the arsenal is basically like, 
Here's a fastball you can't hit it. 70 of his 97 pitches uh, in that combined no-hitter that he threw were fastballs. I mean, it mm-hmm. just it's just the ability to make that pitch dance. He had a 183 batting average on that pitch, uh, the four-seamer during the regular season. They're just so deep, and it's crazy to think, like, here we are talking about the potential of Justin Verlander having thrown his last pitch for the Astros if he opts to you know, get out of that, that player option and go sign somewhere else. There is literally no letdown with the amount of arms that they have that they mm-hmm. can just roll out there and say, okay, we have a guy who's going to wind up in the Hall of Fame. He can move on, and we are still extremely good when it comes to this rotation. And who's to say they don't go out, trade for, or sign another top arm to go with what they already have in-house? It's an, an embarrassment of riches, to put it lightly, I, I would say, would be that uh, you know the Verlander situation for them. I mean, it's if he comes back, it's a tremendous luxury and one that they know very well and one that they're very comfortable with. And with the way that he pitched this year and the fact that, you know, it just says a lot, I think, about who he is as a pitcher because I think he acknowledged the fact that, all right, I got to get the job done. And if I can't get the job done, I got to have the recognition that I'm not and that we need to win this game because it's about winning the World Series and nothing else. That's the the number one goal for this team. Now, it's crazy to me that when we looked at the overall ups and downs of this series that the Phillies could hit the record five home runs off one pitcher, get no hit the next day. Then you have a pitcher on his way to Cooperstown who was winless in World Series starts. The team had been 1-8 and eight in his previous nine World Series starts prior to Justin Verlander picking up that win in Game 5. But that no-hitter had so many different little tentacles and, and little interesting stats because, number one, there have been thousands of playoff games and, and World Series games. There's been hundreds and hundreds of those as well. I don't know what the exact number is, but only Don Larson's perfect game in 1956 has stood the, st- the test of time in the postseason until Roy Halladay in 2010 threw one at the Cincinnati Reds. You know who their manager was in 2010 in Cincinnati? Dusty Baker. It was Dusty Baker. And now Dusty Baker gets to be on the side of his club throwing a postseason no-hitter at the opposition. I'm going to guess this one felt a lot sweeter. But it's been a really interesting back and forth between these two clubs. And again, as I said, on paper, you may not think that they're very evenly matched. But if you've watched the way the series has played out, the back and forth, and some of the the game within the game between these two teams – I said it before the series. I mean, I know the Braves aren't there, but give me the seven games. Let me see two clubs go back and forth, back and forth at one another and have one of those kind of instant classic World Series, and I'm still kind of pulling for that seven-game series. The thing that you have to watch for uh, in Game 6, though, is the Phillies' ability to hit with runners in scoring position. You go back to since the fifth inning of Game 1, they are 1-for-23 with runners in scoring position. Reese Hoskins 0-for-10. Uh, you know, Nick Castellanos uh, is hitting you know 197 this postseason uh, when it comes to runners in scoring position. They get, you know, Harper's slumping, Schwarber's slumping. They're, I, I just think that the fact that they rely so much on the home run, the manufacturing runs is going to be the biggest storyline for the Phillies in these coming games. And you know what one of the hallmarks was of the Philadelphia Phillies over their first three series? It was two out runners in scoring position magic. Two strike hits. I mean, they were really doing this thing at a rate in which, especially like if you're following the Braves like we were, where you look at it and say, man, they're getting all the hits with two outs. They're getting all the hits with runners in scoring position. They're getting all the hits with two strikes. I mean, they're manufacturing the runs. Yeah, they'll hit some home runs. I mean, Kyle Schwarber hit more than anybody in the National League this year. Bryce Harper, we know what he's capable of, and they've got plenty of other thumpers in that lineup. And I don't know if anybody's hit a more emphatic home run against the Atlanta Braves than uh, Reese Hoskins hit uh, off Spencer Strider 
in that particular game. But all of that aside, I mean, this is a club that definitely it, it earned its way into October by whatever means necessary and survived in advance by whatever means necessary. They got their backs to the wall in Game 6. Now, the Astros suffered a rather important injury amidst their victory in Game 5, and that, of course, is Yuli Gurriel. He is not going to play again here in the World Series. That was a pretty ugly little rundown where it looked like he might have hurt his knee, but I was more concerned about the knee of Reese Hoskins hitting the back of the head of Gurriel on that play. Yeah, he's going to be out for the rest of the, the World Series, so they brought in Corey Lee, uh, who will allow them to move Christian Vasquez to DH, so they've got a third catcher now, but um, he's out for the rest of the World Series, and an unfortunate, obviously, uh, you know, turn of events for them, a key guy, you know, for them, a guy who you know is just a couple years removed from winning an AL batting title, so... Um, you know what he's capable of at the plate, but he hasn't always looked that part of during this season, but he's obviously a key cog for the Astros uh, without question. Yeah, and I don't want to dwell on what the Astros were doing five years ago, three years ago, whatever it was, and all of the things that came out in 2020 regarding the electronic sign stealing because I do feel like at this point, well, clearly they're not doing it now, so I don't know how much longer we can really cling to that. History will tell the story of it, but... You know, they brought in Dusty Baker after that whole big debacle. And one of the things I think that they brought him in for was they needed somebody with experience and a steady hand and the right temperament to be able to help guide this team. Because I think very easily they're a club that could have fractured, fallen apart, you know, crumbled under some of the pressure and the scrutiny in some cases. And maybe some of the guys did. I don't know. But they've had different guys leave and go other places to play. But they've managed to maintain a consistent, you know, winning atmosphere there in Houston. They've been to the ALCS six consecutive years, so that should tell you a little bit something about how much winning that they do there. But I say all of that to say Dusty Baker as a manager has been looking for this World Series for a long time. He thought he might have had one in 2002 with the Giants. It wasn't to be. He's had several postseason teams that marched in with 100 wins or uh, you know, just a number one seed kind of uh, mentality or that was the moniker that they got, and they went home early. And Dusty Baker has now went away from a World Series championship, and this is a guy that spent, what, five, nearly six decades in the game, and I think that it kind of puts maybe the cherry on top of a guy who has kind of that hybrid resume to be honored in Cooperstown one day. Really excellent player, really excellent manager. Was he ever the greatest in any single league at any single time? I don't know, probably not, but... Dusty Baker's given an awful lot to the game of baseball, so this would be a pretty big win for him in his career. Yeah, he's going to put himself right there with Joe Torre, I think, if he I, can I agree, get this. Yeah. I mean, he's going to wind up in the Hall of Fame if he can get the, I mean, I think he's there regardless amount of the uh, with the amount of wins he has as right. a manager, but this is kind of just that, that icing for him to kind of finally break through and, uh, and get that World Series win. He's got a couple chances to do it, and it just feels inevitable at this point. And I, you know, I think it's it is interesting that he's the guy that they brought in in Houston because I think he is just so even tempered, and you know, just to to kind of get it was almost a complete departure from what they had with AJ Hinch, you know, who was so much more analytical. To have a guy who's more of that that player's manager, and uh, you know, he's on the cusp of history at seventy three years old. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting thing, I'm sure, for Dusty Baker, for his family. And and when you look at the history of the game and all the ways that Dusty has been kind of attached to that or a part of that, I mean, he's the guy that's on deck when Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run. He's one of Aaron's teammates, and obviously we saw when Hank passed away, you know, that Dusty was was clearly there and, and involved and there for the Aaron family. And, you know, I, I think that that just is another little piece of the legacy that Dusty Baker has is how many different generations of baseball he connects to because – not only was he the teammate of Hank Aaron, of course, but he was the manager of Barry Bonds, the man that went on to break Hank Aaron's single-season home run record. So it's just fascinating, you know, how many different connections that Dusty Baker has through all of these different decades and generations he spent in the game. 
And let's not forget the guy invented the high five, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the footnote with with uh, between that and the Dusty toothpick. Baker. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I, the thing I've always loved about Dusty Baker is the you know I loved it when we we look at the baseball cards in the '80s and they'd have the wristbands with the guy's picture on yeah. them. There, and he still wears those. He still gets those made. And yet Eric Davis had those, and Tony Gwynn Barry and Daryl Strawberry, Barry Bonds, and he's keeping that thing alive. You know, I read an article about that whole phenomenon, and we don't have the time here as we're about to head to break, but I want to do some digging and maybe put this thing on Twitter if you want to follow me, at Grant McCauley, because somebody did like a deep dive and hey, where did those little uh, little wristbands with the, the stitched-in version of the players' faces, where did those things come from and where did they go? And, well, we're going to dig that up and throw that on social media and have that be a little bit of a part of From the Diamond. It's one of the many things that we get to on this show. You never knew you needed to get to. When we come back, we'll take a trip around the big leagues. We'll talk about some of the other news that was, that has been going on in the week that was and a big movie about a Braves legend. We'll get to that next. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney, From the Diamond, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grant McCauley for more From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And welcome back in. This is From the Diamond, Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you on a Saturday evening here from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game as we wrap things up on this edition of From the Diamond. We appreciate you making us part of your sports enjoyment over the course of this weekend. There's always some great football going on this time of year, but a little bit of baseball never hurt anybody. If you missed anything on the show, you want to catch up with us or just make sure you don't miss anything, Head on over wherever you get your podcast. Just search for From the Diamond. You can also find us on the Odyssey app. And make sure you're following along on Twitter. I'm at Grant McCauley. He is at Corey J. McCartan. We have a little show called Battery Power that you should check out as well. You can find that on YouTube. Now, let's take a look around the big leagues, Corey, to some of the other things going on this week. It's kind of a moratorium of big news um, for most clubs, but there are several teams. I believe there's half a dozen teams that were looking for managers as we were heading into the postseason for one reason or another. And two more teams have made their managerial hires, and that, of course, is uh, going on over in the American League, both in the American League Central. you got the Chicago White Sox, who found their man as, um, you know, they, I think, really needed to find a way to right the ship, if you will, after what was going on with the Tony La Russa hiring a year ago. That's just one that missed. So I feel like going out, hiring somebody, getting some new blood in there is the way to go. Yeah, so they bring in Pedro Grifol, who was the Royals bench coach. Um, I, I really thought, you know, after they went to Carlos Mendoza in, in the season when uh, La Russa was absent with his health issue, right. I thought maybe he had an opportunity to get it. I mean, I thought the Astros' uh, Joe Espada was another pick. I mean, they obviously they even talked to Ozzie Guillen about a, a second managerial stint there on the south side. Um, an interesting move. It's a, I mean, it's a team that obviously was woefully disappointing this past year. He has a ton of talent. Um, you know, Tim Anderson, you know, was hurt. You know, they had, I mean, they had tons of injuries. Loy Jimenez, Luis Roberts, uh, you know, he's Monty Grandal, Yuan Moncada, on and on and on. Yeah. With guys, you know, Lance Lynn, they just, they could not get to the point where you felt like they were ever getting a run together of what the team was supposed to look like. They somehow still managed to finish the year at 500 at 81 and 81. Uh, it's still a really winnable division, despite mm-hmm. the fact that the the Guardians are young and, and having, you know, had success in the postseason. But, um, in, in interesting uh, hiring for sure. I thought maybe they'd go a little bit splashier, and I don't know what that signals in terms of how they are approaching things going forward. But this is obviously a team with a lot of talent and a lot of room to improve. Yeah, with Pedro Grifo coming in, I felt like this might have kind of been the hire. You know, when you've got a big role and you well, you got to cast an unknown because if you get somebody that's too splashy, it really takes away from the movie. It takes me out of the whole story. I don't know if that's the nicest way I can say the best of Tony La Russa in Chicago was, but 
he was woefully miscast as the leader of this club, in my opinion, just based on how far away LaRusso was from the generation of ball player, even in just 10, 12 years off, and where this White Sox team was and what they needed. So I feel like bringing in somebody who's kind of coming in and, and not just cutting his teeth. It's not like the guy doesn't know the game of baseball, but going this direction kind of felt like the right move for Chicago after making a move that was at the complete other end of the spectrum last winter. So you feel like it was more of a course correct yes. because things were so bad with LaRusso uh, y- that yeah. you, you couldn't bring in Ozzie Guillen another time around because you don't need that kind of a personality after you've dealt with a guy who was kind of a outsized personality to begin with in LaRusso. Now, I'm a little bit surprised that Ozzie Guillen has never gotten another opportunity to manage after Miami. I know that he has done his own things to kind of you know make his own bet or whatnot, and this is just kind of a, a game where it does feel like things do come back around and people do get second chances. And maybe he hasn't wanted one for a while, so maybe that's the case. But if you miss again in that kind of like big fashion, I don't know what that would do to the Chicago White Sox and the trajectory of that club that does have some great young players and it should be expected to, I think, go out there and win this division next year because there is no clear-cut favorite, as you pointed out. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians, I mean, they very much took advantage of what the American League Central devolved into the Minnesota Twins have work to do. I think the Guardians still have work to do. And obviously there's another team in this division that picked up a new manager this week as well as the Kansas City Royals made their hire and they got Matt Quattraro to step in and helm this club and talk about a really different run now for the Royals. They have bid adieu to Dayton Moore. Mike Matheny is gone, and this is going to be a very different Royals club moving forward, I think, and it's going to be interesting to see how exactly – they approach things moving into what is kind of a a new horizon for them, I guess. So you bring in Kevin Cash's right-hand man, and you sort of look at these markets, and you think Kansas City is looking to win the way that, that the Tampa Bay Rays have. I think that's, yeah. you know, it's a lot easier, I think, to to look at it in terms of how do we establish long-term winning as opposed to what the Royals did. And, no, you know, Dayton Moore was great at his job. They went to the World Series twice. And won it. And they won it, but they 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 kind of approached it with we have windows, right? And we'll mm-hmm. build to a window, we'll win with that window, guys will walk away, and then we'll try to build towards another window again, and ultimately those guys will end up walking away as well. I think if you look at it from the way that the Rays have done it, it's sustained winning in mm-hmm. a smaller market. So you bring in a guy who understands that kind of performing in, in that in a in a you know what's not a major a major television market. That's an interesting approach to me. Can the Royals become what the Rays are? I think that's an interesting question. I think any club that is in a market that's mid or or lower market that's just not going to be able to spend the kind of money to spend their way into contention should probably look at a lot of things that the Tampa Bay Rays have done over the last decade and a half to figure out ways to build a sustainable winner. Now, the Rays go out, and they always seem to have done their homework, and they find the players that fit, the players who are bouncing back, the players that have a little bit of extra upside – I know that a movie was made about what Billy Bean was doing out there in Oakland, but I think it's just as impressive the last 10 or 15 years what exactly the Tampa Bay Rays have done because they've done it with a lot less fanfare. I mean, if you're inside baseball, you understand what the Rays are doing, but if you're kind of outside looking in or just hearing big picture stuff, it's, oh, the Rays, they can't get anybody to show up at their ballpark. They are so much more than that if you really look at what their success is built on. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's in the – 
you know, in a lot of the same ways that we look at the way that the Dodgers get somebody and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, they figured out, you know, he's got this rotation on his, you know, slider. And if he just, you know, makes this adjustment, you know, he becomes that much more of that version of himself consistently. Mm-hmm. The Rays are able to do that with pitchers, are able to do that with guys and and bring out the stuff, you know, that isn't always on the surface uh, because of their analytics department and what they're able to, to kind of dig up on guys. And as you mentioned, doing their homework. That's, I think, going to be key because they have so many interesting guys when you think about the Royals. And Bobby Witt Jr., you know, has mm-hmm. a lot of star qualities. Uh, they have a, some interesting young talent, but it's that sustained winning, I think, that that fan base has been waiting for. And maybe this is the first step to them kind of being able to do that and not just operating in those windows of contention. Yeah, sometimes you do have to change the message. It just does come down to that, whether that's a manager, a general manager, whether it's an organizational kind of tenant. You, I feel like if something's not getting you somewhere, how many times are you going to keep doing it and expecting the different results? So uh, this is just one of those things I think the Royals kind of found their way into this, and they've decided to make a change, and they got themselves a pretty good new manager. Now, a club that can spend its way into contention and has been doing so for a very long time is the New York Yankees. And we wondered, with their early departure from the postseason and all of the consternation that there was about that because of who they are and what they are and what they've done in the past, Were we going to see the last of Aaron Boone in pinstripes? Were we going to finally see Brian Cashman ushered out of town and no longer be the GM of this club? It looks like, from if you listen to Hal Steinbrenner, Boone's going to be back. And, hey, Brian Cashman is still holding office for the New York Yankees. It looks like he's going to continue on as well, though it's kind of a little bit interesting here in this past week, Corey. Yeah, so Brian Cashman operating without a contract as he, you know, tries to lure Aaron Judge to staying in the Bronx. But this is, uh, should be noted, not the first time that Cashman has operated without a new deal. He did this for more than a month back in 2017 before signing the new deal uh, in December of that year. So I, you, you can kind of look at it and say, okay, well, is this hinging on what happens with Aaron Judge? This isn't the case. I mean, he's, he's been with the Yankees since 1998. This is a guy that, you know, is is on his way. You know, we talk about on the way to Cooperstown. This yep. is a Cooperstown executive. Um, you know, obviously he's had a lot of success, but it, just interesting to me that you're asking a guy to go out and nail down, you know, a player that is, is I mean, your past, present, potentially your future, mm-hmm. uh, and he's doing it without a contract. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's going to end up showing on showing up on somebody else's TV the next day. You know, like Rick Rude was on Raw <laughs> one night or in the same night, and they'll end up, you know, being in a Mets uniform or, or being in a, on a Mets podium at the very same time. I don't think it's going to be quite that way. But you mentioned with Brian Cashman, I mean, he does have a long history of success, and some of the things that he's done to build the team have put them in a position where maybe they should have won a little bit more. But you know, all you can do is put the guys out there, and ultimately, it's up to the players to do the winning at some point. So. Uh, be that as it may, it looks like the Yankees are going to stick with you know, the hand that has led them through the last two and a half decades nearly in Brian Cashman and stick with the manager, Aaron Boone, that led them to what was a bit of a up-and-down season. At first, it looked like they might set an all-time wins record, and then all of a sudden it looked like, <laughs> hey, are these guys going to give away the division? Because if they do, that's going to be quite the collapse. But they found their way into October. They just didn't go as far as they wanted to go. Now, I was fascinated by this next story. There's a new movie project, Corey, that's coming out, and it should be in theaters in 2024. At least that's when it's ticketed for, and that would coincide with the 50th anniversary of perhaps the biggest home run in baseball history. Mandalay Sports Media is producing a Hank Aaron biopic, which is going to chronicle his chase for his 715th home run and all of the hate and racial prejudice that Aaron was facing that necessitated him having a security guard around him 24-7, a security detail, to take care of him as he was just trying to break the all-time home run record held in by Babe Ruth. 
Now, Mandalay, you may have heard of, they recently produced the Last Dance documentary series about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls that I think we all were watching in 2020 because we didn't have a whole lot else to do at that time. Um, but they've also produced several other sports features. Casting has not been decided on this yet, though I would imagine over the next weeks, months, whenever, we'll start hearing about that. But Oscar-winning writer Jeffrey Fletcher is going to pen the script of this one. He wrote the movie Precious, if you're curious about what his resume includes. So uh, they're pulling out some big guns to tell the story of Hank Aaron. I think this is pretty darn cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I mean, then your mind kind of starts to wonder about, all right, who's playing who in this movie? And, you know, I... I I threw at you Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton, who played uh, Aaron Burr as Hank as Hank Aaron. I saw somebody had mentioned uh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, who played mm-hmm. Paperboy in Atlanta, playing uh, Hank Aaron. I don't really like that one, but as long as we don't have like Kevin James playing the security guard, I think you know. It, but I, I don't. I don't know. This yeah, is I, I don't think there's going to be any Paul Blart yeah. uh, crossover in this particular one. I threw at you uh, a guy who I think is getting all kinds of different roles and. Could be diversifying even further in uh, Jonathan Majors. I think there you he'd, go. He'd be a pretty good one. And you know, then you're going to get to see. And I, I always enjoy this. And I like this about 42 is you have to be able to hire the right actor, like Chadwick Boseman was for Jackie Robinson, to be able to carry that film. But then Harrison Ford's Branch Rickey in that one was really a fascinating departure from your normal Harrison Ford style of movie. It wasn't Indiana Jones. It wasn't Han Solo. It wasn't Dr. Richard Kimball. I mean, he literally pulled out the the old man and played it to a plum or played it to a T uh, in that particular movie. So I'll be interested to see what the casting is. But as you look at Hank and and his impact and and looking at you know how much of a loss that the Braves were feeling in, in his passing and then going out and winning the World Series and kind of feeling like you know winning one for Hank. But I know it's impossible to be one of the all time great players in your sport and be underrated, I guess. But I think that Hank has been underappreciated for a very long time. And this seems to be a very nice step towards maybe getting people to see a little bit more of his story and have a little bit more of appreciation for just how dominant of a player Hank Aaron was in any sport in North American history. And what he went through during that time Correct. period. I, mean, I remember Bob Hope, who was the uh, you know the team's uh, head of communications, then telling me you know they had to have Hank stay in different hotels because of the you know the way that he was being treated when they were on the road. And you know, I remember being in a in a, a dinner with him uh, in a bar, and these guys came up and you know wanted to one of them wanted an autograph, and the other one wanted to start a fight, and Hank just signed for one guy, got up and walked out because he didn't want to deal with the other one, but. Um, you know, this is a, it's fascinating. I will throw out there too. Tom House is the guy who caught seven fifteen. Yep, I'll be the show. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what uh, who, who's going to end up playing Tom, a guy I talked to multiple times. I think uh, this is it's fascinating, man. This is going to be a big moment for uh, for Atlanta, and a big moment for the Braves when this does come out. Now you know Tom House has already been portrayed on the silver screen in the movie Million Dollar Arm. Do you remember who played? Ooh, I do Tom not. House? I do not. Bill Paxton. Oh, nice. So there you go. There you so. Go. Pretty interesting stuff. There'll be a lot of different folks to be cast in this. I mean, uh, at some point, uh, we'll figure out who all is going to land here. But it's just a really exciting and I think, um, you know, just a, a well over, a very overdue uh, nod to Hank Aaron and all that he accomplished. I've read his biography and, you know, the detail that he goes into what he was having to go through. Nobody should have to go nope. through stuff like that, let alone to try to accomplish something in the world of sports. But as we know, the world can be an ugly place sometimes, but Hank Aaron always seemed to have a way to rise above that, and that's just one of the many things that made him one of the all-time greats. And that is going to bring us towards the end of this episode of Field uh, of From the Diamond. So, as always, Corey, I appreciate it. Enjoy it. 
And I uh, look forward to doing it again each and every week. And we're one day closer to the hot stove. Next time we talk, there will be a World Series champion. There will be one. Unfortunately, it won't be in the city of Atlanta. So break out those 2021 World Series shirts. Wear them for at least 24 more hours. Those are your orders. We'll catch you next week. I'm Grant McCauley. He's Corey McCartney. This has been From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.